Hello and welcome to what will be my uh, first of hopefully many uh, short stories that I'll be podcasting over the next several weeks. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been in the podcast fiction sphere with my own stuff, uh, going back to Archangel uh, Parts 1 and 2. It's been largely because I've been busy writing and on other projects, but I am eager to get back into the podcast sphere. It's been good to me, and um, I've really enjoyed it. And so now that I've got some time uh, to do this, I really want to get back into it. Uh, I will be podcasting, to begin with, uh, stories from my anthology, Through a Glass Darkly. It's a variety of supernatural horror fiction, uh, thriller fiction that I've written over the last, oh gosh, 10 years, because uh, some of these stories go back that far. Uh, these are all going to be read by other people, and except in one case where I'll be doing a reading. Uh, this first story is called Fetch, and it's easily been one of my most popular stories on Amazon and, and Smashwords gotten some really good reviews for it and the thing about it is I wrote it um, for a po- originally for a podcast called Every Photo Tells that this great picture of a cemetery in winter and that really spoke to me and I wanted to do a story that took place in Ireland and that involved a ghost although perhaps a non-traditional sort of ghost uh, turned out to be a very traditional sort of ghost for Ireland I just took it in a slightly different direction this uh, this is narrated by Nick Bourdais and Katharina Mamer this will be broken up into two parts because it's kind of a long story I wrote the first part for Every Photo Tells and wasn't quite satisfied with where it ended I mean it was an ending but I really wanted to do more with it, so I added a second part, and you'll get to hear both of those. All of these stories are available uh, through Smashwords and Amazon, as well as at my own site, scottroche.com bookstores. So uh, there'll be links to that, and I uh, would encourage you to go out and, and buy the ebook or the print book. Um, but if you can't or don't, you'll get all of the stories right here in completely unadulterated format. So I hope you enjoy it, and keep coming back for more. Cheers. Fetch, part of Through a Glass Darkly, by Scott Roche. "'Twas the twin I never had, father. Saw him as plain as I see you there. And what were you doing by the old cemetery, anyway? Just clearing me head, Ian had nodded. Caffrey lived within a half mile of the small square of hallowed ground. He was the unofficial caretaker, since there was no church attached to it. I'll check it out for you, then. Fear further creased the old man's face. "'Mind that you take the sacramentals with you, father.' I fear the devil himself may have taken up residence there. Ian had agreed to go and have a look, though all he had taken with him was a rosary with a small St Michael's medal. The grounds on the other side of the fence were ringed by hedges and looked undisturbed. 
No one had walked to those grounds in the last two days, of that he was certain. It had been that long since this particular snow had fallen, and that put the lie to old Caffrey's claim that he had seen someone walking there last night. He shook his head. He loved the old man, and in most cases he would believe anything Caffrey said. He'd given up the drink ten years ago, but seeing things that weren't there meant that either all the drink had done its work in destroying precious brain cells, or else he had leapt from the wagon and had a drop or two recently. He felt no evil presence, if such a thing could be felt. The only thing to feel here was the ever-present wind and the water leaking through any available crack in his boots. Satisfied that he'd fulfilled his obligation, he turned to walk to Caffrey's little house to set the man's fears at rest. The walk was pleasant enough, in spite of the biting cold. His black wool coat sucked every bit of heat it could from the sun, and brisk walking helped fight the chill. He arrived at Caffrey's two-room hovel and knocked, knowing that a warm fire and a hot cup of tea awaited him inside if the past was any indication. No answering call came. Ian knocked again, louder this time. The door opened slightly under the force of his blows. Hello? Caffrey? Ian stepped in. The air was as warm as predicted, but the priest still felt a chill. From his vantage point he could see kitchenette, bed, hearth and door to the water closet. The old codger's recliner had its back to him and seemed to sit, accusing. Caffrey? His voice was tremulous now. He stepped up to the recliner and saw the top of an old grey head. Each step heavier, he moved around to see that his friend was dead. His was not the first corpse Ian had seen. Ian crossed himself. There was no obvious violence done to the man. A quilt lay in his lap, tucked in. A cup of tea sat on his side table, half drunk. He was mildly surprised to see a new pint of brandy next to it. Poor, poor man, he said. There was no phone here to call 999. He knew that his cell phone would get no signal this far from town, and he had left it in his car. He would call the guard a station at his earliest opportunity and meet them back out here if they needed him. There was nothing more he could do here and now. He turned to go when something caught his eye. There was a scrap of paper in Caffrey's weathered hand and the stub of a pencil in a fold of quilt. Knowing he probably shouldn't touch the body or disturb the tableau, a part of him wondered if this might be a deathbed confession of some sort. As this man's confessor, he felt bound to at least read it before anyone else. And so, with the utmost respect, Ian carefully pulled the paper from the dead man's hand, straightened it out, and the single word written there puzzled him. Fetch. It was certainly Caffrey's writing. He'd seen it enough in notes the man would leave him at the church. He hadn't written this in the throes of death. It was as clean and even as his writing ever was. What did he felt the need to fetch? Maybe he wanted someone to fetch something for him. The full stop made it seem more like a command than a reminder. If so, then fetch what? It made no sense to him. He placed the paper on the side table. One for the guarder to figure out. He looked at the corpse again. Goodbye, old friend. Rest in peace. He made sure that the door was well closed behind him. 
I walked back towards the ancient cemetery was colder. The sun was still out, but something had drained from the world with the knowledge that he had failed Caffrey at the last. He decided to make it up to the man's memory. He would come back here and bless the cemetery properly. It wasn't that he thought there was anything evil there. He wasn't even sure he still entirely believed in that sort of evil. But it would make him feel better, and it wouldn't do any harm. The late afternoon light suddenly became even more dim. It looked like they were going to get another flurry. He doubled his efforts, wanting to get back to the car before it started. As he neared the hedgerow, he saw movement out of the corner of his eye. Now more than his body was cold as a chill wrapped around his heart. He changed course slightly. If there was someone there, maybe there was more to Caffrey's death than his old heart stopping. Maybe the man really had seen someone out there. A drifter, or a criminal on the run, and had been done in by them. Just because he hadn't seen a wound on the corpse didn't mean there wasn't one. You there, he called out, the sound of his words muffled by snow, and the realisation as he spoke that if this drifter, or worse, had any weapon of any kind, Ian might soon be joining Caffrey. There was no answer, but he clearly saw movement. The Garda would want description, or they would assume it was a dog or some other animal. Another furtive movement almost convinced him that it was, until the man stood. It was as if he looked in a mirror. The man had the same black pea coat, clerical collar peeking out, jet black hair streaked with premature silver and tossed by the wind. Just a little too long for a proper priest, crowned his head. High cheekbones from his mother and a prominent nose from his father made him look equal parts prince and prize fighter. The only thing different was the eyes. Ian's were the blue of the sea on a bright summer's day. This thing's eyes were as black as tar. The other Ian smiled. It was like a punch to the priest's stomach. Hello, father. Suddenly Ian wasn't worried about a weapon. His right hand went of its own accord to the rosary in his pocket. Hello? The words came out a croak. He cleared his throat and tried again. Hello? His brain spun in his skull looking for an explanation for what he saw. He had none. Twas the twin I never had, father. Saw him as plain as I see you there. Caffrey's words from last night echoed in his head. Mind that you take the sacramentals with you, father. I fear the devil himself may have taken up residence there. Those words taunted him. He wasn't prepared, physically, mentally or spiritually, for something like this. Oh, I'm not himself, dear boy. Not at all. The thing's voice was almost his, but flattened somehow. Lifeless. Where there should have been an acidic humour, there was no real emotion. Though I am here for your soul. Ian pinched the medal at the end of his rosary between thumb and forefinger. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. The prayer started out rough, his words coughed out of his mouth. Halfway through they gained momentum and clarity. The thing in priest's garb seemed to thin, then it laughed and gained solidity. This is not a battle, Ian. I will take your soul just as Angus Caffrey's was taken. You will not see another sunset. The thing then simply faded from sight. Ian shook his head like he would, trying to free himself from a nightmare. Then the pain from the tips of his fingers on his right hand registered. He pulled them out and looked at them. 
The pressure he'd been exerting on the metal left an impression on angry red and bone white. Eventually, he realised it was dark. Clouds obscured the stars, leaving him only the waning moon for illumination. He must have been standing there for more than 45 minutes. His brain rejected any attempt to think of the experience of the last hour. It only moved into his car and the warmth the heater would provide. The drive back was a blur. Traffic on those back country roads was non-existent, particularly given the amount of snow they had. By most standards it wasn't much, but in this part of Ireland it was notable. When he came to again, he was parked in front of the green man. He looked at himself in his rear-view mirror, almost afraid to look in case his eyes had gone black. Scared blue ones looked back at him. It seemed he also had a fresh strand or two of silver hair. He hoped it was just the way the wind had blown it. The car's heater had barely touched the cold at his centre. Eager for the company of human beings and a glass of whisky, he left the car and rushed for the door. Subdued music and friendly laughter greeted him. He found the closest chair at the bar and fell into it. Gracious father, you look a complete fright. Erin placed a hand on his arm, her soft brown eyes filled with concern. I'll be fine, dear. Just a bit of whiskey. His voice had a ragged edge to it. It's so cold out there. Too cold. She held his arm for one more heartbeat and then turned to pour his drink. She slid it in front of him a second later. I know you, Ian McIlwain. Have some school, and it's more than the cold is you in this state. What is it? He sipped at the Jameson, tempted to finish it in one go. The liquid hit his stomach, and the warmth began to work its way up and out. Mr. Caffrey has passed. What? Well, we all saw him in here just last night, and he was bright as rain. It was sudden, it seems to me. Maybe it was his heart. I need to call the Garda office and let someone know. He took another sip of the Jamesons. Erin looked past his shoulder. Coleman! Coleman, come here! Her shout cut through the pub noise. A wall of a man moved through the crowd and stopped behind Ian. What is it, Erin? He nodded to the priest. Father? Ian looked over his shoulder. Garda Coleman? Just call him in, Father Ian. I'm off duty just now. Ian finished the whiskey and placed the glass on the bar, nodding at Erin for another. I have some need of you in your official capacity, Coleman. I found Angus Caffrey dead at his house just a short time ago. It felt like it had been a lifetime. The big man reached back and produced a pen and a notebook. He flipped it open and began taking down notes. Okay, Father. Anything else to tell me? What state was his body in? Was his house broken into... Anything like that? He was sitting in his chair. It looked for all the world like he'd gone to sleep. I know death when I see it. Coleman nodded and continued taking notes. His place was undisturbed. His front door was unlocked. It may have been partially open. Here you go, Father. Nurse this one now. Erin chided gently. He didn't think he'd thrown the other one back so quickly, but he could feel the effects on his body. He took the glass and looked into the amber liquid. There was nothing there worth stealing, and the man didn't have an enemy I know of. He looked up. There was one thing. Go on, father. Coleman's face and build were that of a footballer, but there was a gentleness in his eyes and tone. He told me that he had seen someone out at the cemetery near his place. 
He wanted me to check it out. You, father? Why on earth? Erin interrupted. She looked sheepish as both men turned to look. Excuse me. I've got drinks to pour down the bar. She moved off and left the men to their talk. Fair question, father. Why a priest and not the Garda? Coleman looked more interested than concerned. Well, he didn't think it was a person. He thought it might be something else. Something more in keeping with your line of work. There was a hint of scepticism in his tone, but no disrespect. Exactly. Ian took another sip of his drink and left it on the bar. Did you see anyone? Ian stopped and thought. After a second, he shook his head. No, it was just me and Mr. Caffrey out there. Sorry. No worries there, father. I'll call this one in. I hate to bother you with this. Nonsense, father. It's my job. On duty or off. I'll call this in. If we need you for anything, we'll let you know. He flipped the notebook closed and put it and the pen away. He unclipped a handset from his belt and began speaking into it, and clipped tones after a second whilst walking towards the door. Ian swiveled back around and simply held his glass of whisky. Nothing, it seemed, could drive those eyes from his head. Why hadn't he mentioned what he'd seen? Simple. Even he didn't know what it was. <laughs> Crying in your whisky, Ian? The jovial voice drew him out of his turmoil. He turned and tried screwing a smile on as he did. Jared, good to see you. He stuck out a hand. The much younger man took it, a worried look in his face. Good to see you too, though I was just choking about the tears. Ian reached up and touched his own face. He was surprised to find a dampness there. Embarrassed, he reached for a napkin and tried to surreptitiously dry it away. Sit down, sit down. How's school? Jared raised a finger at Aaron in motion for drink. Oh, you know, still settling in. The kids still make fun of my accent. <laughs> Most of my colleagues do, actually. Aaron slid a Guinness in front of him. Thank you, darling. He accentuated his Southern American drawl. Sorry for the... Ian pointed at his face. Oh, heavens, man, don't apologize. I just want to know what's got you bothered. One of my parishioners died today. I discovered his body. Jared took a deeper draught. Sorry to hear that. He was an older man. It wasn't unexpected. He sipped the whiskey, now more because of want than need. Part of him still had a chill, but an ocean of spirits wouldn't wash that away. Help me take my mind off this. I have a question for your sceptical mind. Jared adjusted his horn rims. Fire when ready. Have you ever been confronted by something you felt probably existed, but that you weren't 100% sure about? He saw the look in his friend's eye and held a palm out. I'm talking about something potentially world-shaking. Jared stroked his chin. Well, I did see a UFO when I was at college. Some friends of mine and I were hanging out in the backyard after a cookout. I saw a large saucer shape in the sky. It was as clear as a bell. I'm not saying it was from an alien planet, but uh, now I can't make fun of those folks in trailer parks anymore. Ian almost chuckled. What happened to me tonight was a bit more serious. He looked around to see if anyone was paying them close attention. I was visiting an old cemetery on behalf of the parishioner that died recently. He told me last night in this very pub that he'd seen someone that looked exactly like him in the cemetery. It had him so bothered he asked me to re-sanctify the grounds. So it's possible for holy ground to lose its charge? Well, 
I wouldn't put it quite that way. But I can imagine that if such a place is neglected, and this one was, then it might cease to be a sacred place. Mind you, he touched his collar lightly. This doesn't make me an expert in all matters spiritual. And did you do it? I'm getting there. When I got to the cemetery, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. Honestly, he ran one finger around the rim of his glass. It produced an eerie hum. I blamed it on the drink. Guilt flared up again. I found him dead, clutching a piece of paper in one hand. It said, fetch. I'm not sure what that means. In any case, I left his house intending to come back and report his death. As I passed by the cemetery a second time, I saw myself. Jared took a sip of his stout. He seemed to almost chew on it. And you're thinking that him seeing his twin and dying means that since you've seen your twin, you've got a death sentence. Ian shrugged. <laughs> you saying it out loud like that makes it seem silly somehow. His brow furrowed. But I saw it, Jared. I saw me. I can't explain it, and I want to disbelieve it, but I can't. It said that it was here for my soul, and that I wouldn't live to see another sunset. Well, Ian, you know I really don't believe in any of this stuff. Maybe there's a god out there, and maybe not. So far, I've seen nothing to indicate it. Still, I respect you, and what you do for your people, and you look like you saw something upsetting tonight. So, what are you planning doing about it? And why tell me? Ian ran his fingers through his hair. I don't know. I was hoping you'd tell me what an idiot I am and tell me to get a good night's sleep. He looked a little sheepishly at his friend. I don't want to trust what I saw. Still, I do believe in the supernatural. God, the immortal soul, demons. I say that I believe in all these things. To have something like this thrust upon you makes it all more real somehow. <laughs> exactly. And if what I saw was real, then it likely caused the death of a friend. A death that I could have prevented. Jared rested a hand on Ian's arm. Hey now, you can't carry that weight. Let's say you believe what he told you last night. And let's say you did consecrate the grounds this morning, or even last night. There's no guarantee that would have worked, is there? No. No, I suppose not. Another jolt of cold blew through him. If what I saw was real, though, and responsible for Caffrey's death, then what's going to happen to me? Here's where I should tell you to finish that whiskey and go crawl into bed with a hot water bottle and a good book. Jared gently took his hand back. But whether what you believe you saw is real or not, this is going to tear you apart. He squared his shoulders. Let's go sanctify this graveyard. Ian raised an eyebrow. Pardon? Seriously? Let's go to your church, get what you need and sanctify the cemetery where you saw this thing. I'm not saying it'll banish the bogeyman, but... Maybe it'll get rid of this guilt and help you feel better. Of course, that may be the bogeyman in need of banishing. And you want to come along? Yeah. Hey, just because I'm a skeptic doesn't mean I'm a heartless bastard. I don't want you to go alone. And if something does happen, I want to be there to see it. Ian nodded. All right, then. Let's go to the church so I can pick up a few things and go on over. Tonight? Well... The thing said that I wouldn't live to see another sunset. That doesn't mean I have all day tomorrow to take care of this. Ian stood from his stool and laid down the money for both drinks. Jared finished his stout in two long pools and set the glass down with a solid thunk. A little Dutch courage. 
The moon was nearly gibbous and for now had broken free from the clouds. Ian and Jared stood a few yards from the fence, separating the realm of the dead from that of the living. It was good to have a friend alongside him, even if it was one that didn't believe in what they were here to do. They each held sample cases. Ian looked over at Jared. Are you sure about this? Jared nodded. Mostly. Ian walked to the gate and opened it. It resisted, though not with any supernatural power. A thin covering of ice and snow made opening it a bit of a challenge. Ian's thin black gloves didn't offer much protection from the chill, but they would at least let him handle the sacramentals he brought without fumbling. Both pairs of feet crunched through the icy snow. Ian stopped about halfway into the middle of the square, put the candles at each corner, and one about there. He pointed as near to dead centre as he could. As Jared went about his orders, Ian sat his case down and snapped it open. He removed the scapular of St. Michael and kissed each square of cloth before settling the bands over his shoulders. The blue square of cloth that rested against his chest depicted Michael slaying Satan, as did the black one that hung between his shoulder blades. Next, he removed the purple stole from the case and kissed the white cross embroidered in one end. Restore unto me, I beseech you, O Lord, the stole of immortality which I lost through the collusion of our first parents, and inasmuch as I presume to draw near you, your holy majesty, with this adornment, unworthy though I be, grant that I may be worthy to rejoice in the same unto eternity. He slid the cloth around his neck, crossed the ends over, binding them together. He looked up to see that Jared had finished placing the fat white candles, and each one gleamed from its place. Five tiny points of light amplified by a blanket of white. Thank you, Jared. The teacher nodded silently and moved to stand near the gate. Next, Ian took five wooden crosses from his case and walked around, impaling the snow behind each candle. He was following a modification of the ritual used to bless a new cemetery. There was so much more to it than what he could do on short notice. Being frank with himself, he wasn't even sure this would work. Finally, he returned to his case and retrieved the aspergillum. It looked somewhat like a mace, a silver ball on the end of a metal shaft. A reservoir inside held holy water, and it was this that he would use to begin the consecration. He moved to the corner nearest Jared. It was at this spot that he had first seen the thing. It occurred to him what Caffrey's note must have referred to. The creature had said that it would take Ian's soul, just as he had taken Caffrey's. Perhaps that was what it was called. A fetch. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask that you deign to consecrate this earth to the use of burial. He swung the aspergillum, watching as water spattered the snow near the first candle. He was careful to avoid the light itself. A laugh from nearby broke his line of thought. He was going to accuse Jared, but it was not his friend's laugh. Really, Father? You think this will save you? Ian soldiered on, ignoring the creature. From out of the blessing of your buried body and grant those buried together with you, together in baptism, he swung again, about to be buried here in the flesh in the hope of your resurrection to rest in the mercy of your redemption. Again water landed on the snow, adding new particles of ice. Ian turned to face his accuser, bringing his tool up like the ancient weapon it resembled. No, my hope for salvation lies in Christ. Candlelight just beyond the fetch shone through it dimly. It stood there, arms crossed, dressed as Ian had been earlier that day. There were no vestments. For that, at least, he was grateful. Pretty words, father, pretty words. 
But do they mean anything? Fetch extended its arms and clenched its fists. Ian felt something deep inside him rip. He nearly dropped the aspergillum, only the spasming of his muscles keeping it in his hand. He didn't make a noise. The pain eclipsed even his desire to scream. Ian! Jared shouted. He rushed to the priest's side. What did you do to him? He looked back and forth from one figure to the other. I am taking from him what I was sent here for. The fetch opened his hands. Ian slumped but remained standing. He retched. You can't have it. His hand shoved into the pocket of his coat and grabbed the rosary there. Deliver us from evil. With a twitch of his right hand, a shower of holy water flew outward, spraying the creature. A sizzling noise followed by a screech drove both men to cover their ears. Jared backed away, looking from the fetch to Ian. What's going on here? The fetch stood from where it had collapsed. Light shone more brightly through it where water touched it. Leave here or I will take your soul as well, man. Have courage, Jared. I don't think it can take you. The fetch moved like a cloud across the face of the sun. Are you sure of that? Ian stood straight. You said you were here for me, like you were here for my friend Caffrey. I think you can only take souls you're sent here for. A rapid series of crunches followed by the spectacle of Jared leaping through the air surprised Ian. His friend passed through the creature in front of him, like through a fog. He landed on the other side in a heap, moaning. Perhaps the truth, priest. Perhaps not. But once I take you to meet the master, I can come back for him. No! He lashed out with the aspergillum, this time using it as a club. He was a little shocked when it actually connected. It moved slowly through the creature's substance. The screech split the air for a second time, this one drawn out, coming from everywhere at once. He saw it clench its fist again, and he was driven to his knees in agony. He only had time to wonder why it looked like Caffrey had died so peacefully, when everything went black. He came to after what felt like a second or two. Jared still lay in his side, groaning lightly. The fetch was nowhere to be seen. Ian struggled to his feet and stumbled over to Jared. Are you okay? He rolled the man on his back and was shocked at how cold his clothes were. They were beyond the chill he would have expected from exposure to ice and snow. So cold. The words were drawn out over seconds. I'll get you warm, never you fear. He wasn't sure if he'd be able to drag Jared back to the car or not, but he'd try. His muscles were cramped up, but that wasn't the worst of it. He felt thinned out somehow. There on his knees in the snow, he looked to the cross nearest him and crossed himself. He began to pray to St. Michael and the Blessed Virgin to deliver them from this awful place. At his words, no unholy creature appeared. The light began to brighten, though. At first he didn't believe it, but with every word the glow brightened more. As he concluded the prayer, a strong and welcome voice rang out. Father Ian, are you completely daft? Coleman opened the gate to the cemetery. He panned a powerful torch back and forth. Ian began laughing. <laughs> I may be, Garda Coleman. I think I just may be. Coleman helped Ian to his feet. What happened here? What are you and the Yang out here in the middle of the night for? Ian watched Coleman move to pick Jared up, doing a favour for a friend. Bless the Lord, I think it's done. He leaned on Coleman for support as they made their way toward the Garda patrol vehicle. As he climbed in the back seat, his heart was filled with the warmth. He hadn't known in the past eight hours. You have been listening to part one of Fetch, part of 
Through a Glass Darkly by Scott Roche. Narrated by Mick Bordet and Catherine Maymer.